0: Unstressed podcast, and I'm your host, Liz Carlisle. Thank you so much for tuning in. I am so glad that you're here and that we're spending some time together. And I'm absolutely thrilled to share the work of my guest with you. He needs no introduction, but I'll do it anyway. His name is Seth Godin. He is a prolific writer and entrepreneur, and his latest book, The Practice, is out now. The book is about finding your voice, the myth of writer's block, and the power of doing the work. It's about imposter syndrome, generosity, and the debilitating propaganda of needing to be picked. You know, the fact is, we're always influencing others with our actions. So, wouldn't it be interesting if we came from a place of authenticity and strength and, and truth to who we really are and how that could actually change the world? I mean, I see that every day with this show. Um, so, I'm so thrilled to have him on the show. Uh, to talk about his latest book and to share that with you. So if you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to share it with a friend, leave us a review, and of course subscribe so that you never miss out. Uh, Without further ado, here is my conversation with Seth Godin. Hey guys, before we dive into this episode, I wanna mention show sponsor BioLite. Now when you're feeling nauseous, recovering from a workout, or even have a bad go of morning sickness, your body is depleted and dehydrated. You don't need excess sugars, dyes, and calories found in many popular hydration products. You actually need medical grade hydration that was made to work. You need BioLite, the world's first IV in a bottle. Just one bottle of BioLite has seven and a half times more electrolytes than leading sports drinks with only one third of the sugar. Plus it's made with dextrose, a natural sugar that helps with fatigue without making you feel sluggish. BioLite also includes clean ingredients like ginger root to help reduce nausea, B vitamins for energy, and milk thistle to help your body get rid of toxins. When you need hydration without sacrificing quality and convenience, BioLite is the answer. It's the best great choice for soon-to-be mothers, athletes, those recovering from illness, or anyone just trying to stay hydrated and get healthy. Ready to experience BioLite for yourself? Visit drinkbiolite.com to find a retailer near you. Well, hello, Seth. Welcome to the show. I am so glad that you're here.
1: Well, thank you for taking the time. It's good to talk to you.
0: Yeah. Jumping right in, why was this book so important to you to release to the world right now?
1: Well, it's not a stretch to say that the world is a mess, that um, the economy, our health, the long overdue focus on racial injustice, the insecurity, the feeling that things need to be better, all of it. And the question is, where will better come from? And it seems to me we all live in a culture and the culture is made by us. And the way we make things better is by making things better, by contributing, by showing up, by leading, by choosing to do something that might not work simply because it could help somebody else. And I wrote this book um, before the pandemic, but rereading it before we published it, I didn't want to change any of it because the idea is still the same. What human beings get to do and no other species does, is act as if to put something in the world that we're not sure the world or us are ready for. And I think that's become an obligation. We've got to figure out how to lean into our work to make things better.
0: Do you think that idea scares a lot of people, that they're too small, they're too insignificant? How could they really change the world? How can they even change their relationship with their spouse, with their kids? How do you have that spirit that you just talked about uh, for the good of all when you feel like you might not make a difference.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, to riff on Marion Williamson for just a second, I think the fear people have is that they do have the power. The fear that they have is if they say something or do something, it might work. People might see them. It might make a change happen. And that is fraught because we evolved over millions of years to fear change because change is not the friend of any wild animal. And so we don't have important conversations because we think they're too difficult, or we wait for somebody else to do something. And that is where stress comes from. Stress is simply wanting to do two things at the same time, wanting to be here and not here, wanting things to change and wanting things to be the same, wanting things uh, to be easy, but hoping that things will be important when we are in a position of stress, it's because we're hoping for two things at the same time, and I believe the practice is the art of shipping work to make change happen and if you make change happen, stress goes away.
0: Yeah. At what point do you think in our evolution that we I don't know, that we were overtaken by stress, not from the the environment, not from hunger? And then it's, it became all-consuming because you look around, you look in the neighborhoods, especially during a pandemic, and people are tense. You know, their shoulders are up to here. They're walking around, and there's this fear everywhere. When do you think that that happened for humans?
1: First and foremost, humans are evolved uh, species, creatures, organisms, and we care a lot about staying alive, about having grandchildren. If we didn't, we wouldn't have been here. And if you look at any creature in the wild, they're looking for homeostasis. They're looking for a place of safety. And when we look at Marshall Salin's work on cavemen, it turns out cavemen didn't work nearly as hard as we think they did. Uh, Hunter-gatherers took three to four hours a day uh, to do their work, and the rest of the time they spent in social engagement. Now, it was a horrible time to be alive, because if you had a toothache, you were going to have it for the rest of your life. And (laughs) You might live to be 25 or 30 years old, but there wasn't this modern world stress. So where did that come from? Part of it came from the factory, which is that you have to show up for your shift on time. And if you lose your job, you're in really big trouble. There's a power dynamic that's enforced even more than in a a typical tribal situation. And then add to that, and this is the big one, the media. Because the media brings everyone else's troubles to the device in our pocket. And they will never run out. There will never be a day when your phone says, everything's okay, everyone's happy, we're fine. Never. So they're going to keep looking for the most tragic outlying thing. And particularly since people are so bad at statistics and so bad at understanding how science works, they take that one example and they multiply it, right? Oh, an asteroid hit this person's house, therefore an asteroid's going to hit me tomorrow. And so we are now victims of a media culture because what people don't realize is if you're not paying then you're not the customer you're the product and we are the product that is sold by Facebook and Twitter and everybody else and in order to make us a saleable product they work to make us stressed out of our minds
0: wow i've never heard anyone say it so beautifully and and just so clearly i mean you're absolutely right so how do you then take control Create your own life the way you want to do it, like you talk about in the book. How do we make creativity the cornerstone of our lives? Because that's really, I think, where freedom comes from.
1: Exactly. So let's go back to this idea of stress. If you want two things, which is the uh, feeling that you're totally caught up on everything on social media, and you don't want to be stressed, you can't have both. And so give up one. Spend seven minutes a day to know what the news is so you're an informed citizen and then turn it off. Put it away completely in the other room, off. Because your grandparents got by just fine without being on call 24 hours a day and you can too. So that's step one. And then step two is what will you do with all of that spare time? Because most people are spending three or four hours a day on social media and Netflix. What will you do if you're not doing that? Well, what you'll do is make assertions, not for everyone. And this is the, the, uh, one of the other key messages, but the smallest viable audience of people. Don't try to serve everyone, right? Like Seth Godin should not be listening to Liz's podcast. It's not for me, right? And if you are sitting there when you're making your podcast thinking, how do I make this podcast so Seth will like it? You will not be serving the people you're supposed to be serving. So figure out who you are trying to serve and only serve them. And then the third part is we need to be really clear about the difference between a hobby and a profession. I think hobbies are super important. I love hobbies. But if it's your hobby, don't try to sell it. Don't try to get praise from strangers. Don't bring it to the craft fair. Don't expect that you're going to make money from it. It's your hobby. But if you have a profession, then show up like a professional. The doctor should show up and do their work, even if they don't feel like it, because they said they would. Don't treat it like your hobby. It's your profession. And so when we think about parenting, it gets really confusing, because many people go into parenting as if it's their hobby. But now there's another human being involved. So it becomes your profession. You have to be a good parent, even when you don't feel like it, because that's what you signed up for. And expecting that all of it's going to be fun and easy causes stress because it's not and if you realize it's not fun and easy just like you realize that when you run the boston marathon you're gonna get tired it gets way easier to do it people don't get stressed about the exhaustion of the boston marathon because they know it's part of the deal
0: yeah what would you say to parents though who who made that decision because they saw it on Instagram and Pinterest and motherhood looked like it was so much fun and such a beautiful thing, which it is, but then they're in it and it's week six and they're like, what did I get myself into? And there's no going back. You know, you don't return the baby to the hospital. What would you say to them to power through, to have that correct mindset, to to be a good leader for their children?
1: Yeah, uh, it's a great question. I think that the words matter a lot and I don't think you can power through it. I think that trying to power through something is almost always a recipe for stress. You can power through something that lasts seven minutes, for sure, because it'll be over. You can't power through raising a kid because it's never, ever over. And instead, there's this acknowledgement. The same way, very few people walk around cursing gravity. Right? Think about how easy so many things in our life would be if we had half the gravity on Earth that we do. Right? Or if you choose to live in New Mexico, you don't get to complain about the fact that it's hot because it's <laughs> part of the deal. And I think accepting the fact that it's 3 o'clock in the morning and the baby's crying is the single best way to get down to being the professional you can be, the parent you want to be. Right? Because think about what the alternative is. The alternative is it's three o'clock in the morning and the baby isn't crying. What a tragedy that would be. And so every single time your kid acts like a kid, we get to say thank you. Thank you for acting like a kid. Thank you for reminding me that I'm on duty. Thank you for giving me a chance to be an even better version of the parent I'd like to be. If we look at it that way, not we have to get this over with, then we have a chance to be in the moment. And when we're in the moment, this is the huge power of mindfulness and meditation. It is impossible to be in the moment and be stressed at the same time.
0: Mm. I don't know if I agree with that.
1: <laughs> well, give me an example. I'd love to learn.
0: Uh, well, I mean, when you're holding a baby and they are crying and you are fully there and you're trying to figure out why are they crying? What is going on? I have felt stressed in that moment, in that present moment.
1: Right. Because and i been in that moment as well there's only six things that could make them be crying right, right. but we're so stressed to make them want to stop we f- stop at number three we forget to get to number four what is it i can't oh that's right you haven't eaten in six hours but we <laughs> but because we're so distracted we're not in the moment because we want them to stop crying
0: you're
1: right So two things are going on at the same time we want to be present we want to be mindful and we want them to stop crying
0: yeah you're right. right
1: i want to finish the marathon and i don't want my legs to be tired those are two things that we can't have at the same time so my baby is crying and i'm working my way through the puzzle of why mm. working my way through the puzzle of why is different than willing them to stop
0: and working yourself through puzzles, I feel like that's kind of a, a big part of what you talk about as well, you know, as far as schooling and things like that. How does a mother or anyone listening to this take that approach to, to their children's education and to how they approach life in general in their work and in, in their life? Because I find that so fascinating.
1: Yeah, I love puzzles. I think that um, I'm terrible at jigsaw puzzles, but puzzles where uh, you actually get a flash of insight mm-hmm. and then it's never a puzzle again in that moment, something magical feels like it's happening. How do you get there? How do you get to the puzzle mindset? So uh, Ben and Rosander friends of mine, wrote a book called uh, The Art of Possibility, which is magical. And in it, they tell a story about a prime minister in a, a little country and someone's visiting the prime minister, a reporter or whatever. And while the prime minister is sitting there, uh, the minister of, agriculture runs in screaming and yelling freaking out and the prime minister says don't forget rule number six and the agriculture minister says oh thank you very much calms down and leaves the room and then the minister of immigration comes in freaking out about some emergency and the prime minister says i think you forgot about rule number six and this goes on like four times and finally the reporter says what's rule number six and the prime minister holds up uh, a, a Thing on his or her desk that says don't take yourself so seriously <laughs> and as soon as you stop taking yourself so seriously the problem is still the problem but now it's a puzzle and you're not going to get any better or worse at solving the puzzle because you took it seriously because you took yourself seriously it's still a puzzle and what we learned from the movies is you need that ticking time bomb and the you know the red and the blue wire or whatever with six seconds left. No, you don't actually. You could still solve the problem if there were 60 seconds on the timer or 600 seconds on the timer. That mindset of saying, this is an interesting problem doesn't change anything in the whole world except our level of stress.
0: And now a quick break with a word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Haya Vitamins. Haya is designed for kids of all ages and sent straight to your door in a package families love, so parents can have one less thing to worry about. Did you know that typical children's vitamins are basically candy in disguise? I know, it's Halloween. There's a lot of candy in the house, so having that in our kids' vitamins as well is overload. Haya, on the other hand, is filled with 12 farm fresh fruits and vegetables and supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals known to help support a healthy immune system, energy levels, brain function mood, teeth, bones, and more. And we've worked out an exclusive deal with Hya Health for their best-selling children's vitamin. This is just for Motherhood Unstressed podcast listeners. You receive 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, you must go to hyahealthcom forward slash unstressed or simply enter the code unstressed at checkout. That's H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H.com forward slash unstressed. And get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. Full discount is applied at checkout.
1: And stepping to the side allows us to do this work without realizing it's not about us.
0: Mm.
1: It's about our contribution and how we will ship creative work.
0: Yeah. And I think that that's what, like you said before, makes us professionals in whatever we choose. That that leaves the hobbyist behind because you are showing up, you're removing the ego essentially, and you're focusing on the client or the work or whatever you want to create. So talking back, because I love how you you talk about creativity because I feel like it just, it alleviates a lot of stress and, and enables people who read your book to go out there and create what they want to create. And so can we talk about creativity and your take on that? Sure.
1: Okay, so I have on my uh, desk here these wooden laser engraved things. I call them writer's blocks. Um, (laughs) I I can't resist a good pun. And One of them, (laughs) uh, one of the sides says, uh, creativity is a skill. So let's decode what that means. There are gifts, and some people have gifts in one area or another. A gift is something you're born with. It's immutable. If you don't have it, you can't get it. A skill is something you can learn. So the question I would ask is, have you ever once in your life done anything that was creative? Not crafty, but creative, meaning an interesting new way to think about an old problem. Have you ever told a joke that someone thought was funny? Have you ever solved a problem that someone thought they had? If the answer is yes, then it's a skill and you have it. You just don't have it as much as you want to have it but you can learn it because just like you can learn how to type and just like you can learn to ride a bike, you can learn the skill of being creative, but there's a cost. And the cost is while you are learning any skill, you will feel incompetent because you know what it feels like to do it well. And you're not doing it well yet, but the key word is yet. So we sign up for a process of, continually doing not very good work on our way to doing really good work, we will get better. On the other hand, if we insist that everything we do be right on, perfect, shippable, and not one person will criticize it, then we say, well, I'm not creative. What we really mean is I'm not perfect. And the enemy here, of course, is Pinterest and Instagram and Twitter. Because the minute you put something there, someone's going to say they don't like it. And if you're hoping for unanimity from the social media world, I can't help you.
0: Yeah. What was it inside of you that, that set you on the path for this work? Because it is very unique. You are, you, know, you are freeing so many people to pursue better lives. What happened in your life to enable you to, to seek that path?
1: I appreciate the question, but it's a little bit of a trap. Because only two other people on earth had the same parents I did. And so it's possible to say that if you didn't have amazing parents like Seth did, don't even try. And, you know, I was born uh, in the right year, in the right town, to the privileged class, with uh, people around me who supported me. But guess what? There are people who have none of those things, who are also creative, who had none of those things, who are also doing generous work. So I don't want to let people off the hook and say, I have a gift, because I don't. My English teacher wrote in my high school yearbook, you are the bane of my existence and you will never amount to anything. She wrote it in pen and signed her name. No. Yeah, I dedicated one of my books to her. It made me very happy. Um, And in college, I took exactly one English class. And I have failed more times than most people who are listening to this. I got 800 rejection letters in a row, uh, my first year being a book packager, and on and on and on. What I've got going for me is the luxury of picking small projects where I fail. And I failed as a parent many times, and I failed as a writer many times, and I failed as a leader many times, but no one really noticed because I did it in the small. Mm. I didn't run for president then have a big kerfuffle in front of six people, right? The first speech I gave, maybe there were 12 people there. It wasn't very good most people saw my 80th or 800th speech not Mm -hmm. my first one but you start in this safe environment and you see what works and you do it more
0: like a comedian I've had comedians on the show and that's what they say you know you just go and you get up on stage and you do it again and again and again and again and that's I think a lot of what I got from your book as well
1: yeah it's a great point
0: Yeah. So, you know, at the end of the day, you were writing this book for someone who needs to read this book. Why do they need to read it and what will they get out of it?
1: Liz, the truth is that I wrote the book for me. Hmm. I need, I need to hear this all the time. It is never easy because you imagine that the stakes get bigger, right? That, When I was writing a blog for 20 people, I was scared to write a blog because what if it was bad and people judged it? And now I write a blog for a million people. And if I want to, I can get scared because people are going to judge it. And so it's super easy to slow down and to lose our voice and to look at the outside world and feel all the tension and pain that's out there. And I sat down to write this book because I know people, people I care about. Who have something inside of them to share and i felt like this would help them but selfishly i also knew that writing it reading the audio book talking to you about it i'm also talking to me and that idea you know uh, we know julia cameron's morning pages work so beautifully the reason they work is not because you're writing down anything that's important no one should ever see your morning pages throw them out doesn't matter but The act of writing whatever's on your mind, not only does it clean out some cruft, it reminds you of who you want to be. And reminding ourselves of that through our actions is the best way to become the person we want to become.
0: Wow. You're so disciplined.
1: I I have a lot of willpower. It's true. It's not fun to eat with me because I have so
0: (laughs) Oh, oh, I'd love to ask you about that. What is, I mean, really quickly, what is your morning routine like? What do you do to establish this? Do you do morning pages every morning?
1: Um, Morning pages is something I've been doing lately. It's fairly new for me. What Mm -hmm. I found is um, in most physical activities, uh, we wing it. And someone says, oh, you're a natural. And so we keep going. But at some point, either because you get older or because you have to compete at a higher level, you realize technique matters that sooner or later, natural instinct gets canceled out by technique. And technique is never natural. If it was natural, we wouldn't call it technique. We would just call it doing the thing. So the technique of showing up every day and doing the work, some of it comes naturally to some people more than others, but adding that extra level. And if it means getting a coach, get a coach. If it means adopting practices that other people in the industry use that's great too and um, you know what most people don't know because they're asleep when they get surgery is that surgeons spend a lot of time on technique they have trainings where they're like sitting next to each other practicing the technique and so morning pages is nothing but a technique and you don't have to like it but you may decide that it helps you for me The dominant technique of the last 25 years has been blogging every day. I feel like blogging every day is a privilege and a gift, even if no one reads your blog. Blogging every day is a way in public, so it's totally different than morning pages, Mm -hmm. to practice making assertions. It helps you uh, build a sort of a hypocrisy wall around yourself. Because if you just said it in a blog post, it's harder for you to do it, right? Or not do it. Um, and so I wouldn't trade my blogging practice for anything. It has stuck with me through thick and thin.
0: But do you ever go back and look at old blogs and you don't agree with what you said before and you're like, Ugh, you know, I mean, cause we all change, you know, who we're yeah. married to is a different person than who we married, you know, however many years ago. So what about that for yourself?
1: Yeah, that's a great point. You know, uh, I don't have any rules that say I shouldn't edit or delete an old blog post. I don't spend very much time looking at them, but if someone sends me a note saying, did you really mean that 17 years ago? I'll go. <laughs> Good Lord. I right? <laughs> Good I'll say, yeah, no, that one shouldn't be there anymore. But what I found fascinating, and this is something else I talk about in the practice, is if you really want to do your work, you need to be idiosyncratic and peculiar. You don't, and this is one of the dangers of Betty Crocker and Martha Stewart, and this is the only way, to be uh, whatever, insert adjective here, person. You don't want to be the next Martha Stewart and you shouldn't be the next Betty Crocker. She wasn't even a real person.
0: Right.
1: You should be the next you in a way that serves the people around you. And I am really thrilled that someone, if they send me a a blog post I wrote eight or 10 years ago, I have no recollection of writing it, but it sounds like me.
0: Mm.
1: That's really cool that I because I don't sound like me when I'm talking to you compared to when I'm writing the blog, the blog has a particular voice and it only shows up if I'm in the blog editing software and in WordPress. But the minute the WordPress window opens, I know I'm going to write a blog post and I know it's going to sound like me. And that's a discipline. And I think it was worth it, but you know, we know you've been around someone who, you know, Scolds their kid because they're exhausted. And then they turn to you and they say, Well, that's not like me to do that. Oh, well, that's really interesting. So there is a like you, there is a version of you you are trying to be.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Great. Let's figure out who that version is. And let's figure out how you can do that more because that is what it means to be professional.
0: Yeah. This idealized version of yourself, that person that we're all striving for. And I do disagree, Seth. I think that you would love this podcast tuning in, especially for the meditations. <laughs>
1: i didn't say i didn't say that i wouldn't love it i said it's not for me and that's a big difference right because if you're talking about parenting and my kids are in their 20s well you're gonna have to now add a parenthetical every time which i'm like but if your kids have left the house blah blah well at some point it starts being too broad and I didn't mean to say that I wouldn't like your podcast. No, I'm just
0: teasing you. Um, but we have covered so much. I don't want to give too, too much away about the book. It's incredible, of course. You're such a prolific writer, um, obviously from the blog. Is there anything that you want to leave the listener with today to hit home the point, the main points about the book and why they should read it right now?
1: Um, you know, a long time ago, I stopped writing books to sell books. And it's fine with me if someone doesn't buy my book. It also is fine with me if... Uh, they don't do it right now. But what's not fine with me is settling. It's not fine with me to divide our communities. It's not fine with me to give up hope. It's not fine with me to uh, judge other people without understanding where they're coming from. All of these things are choices. And I am on a mission to help people think about the fact that they're making those choices. And if my book helps you make better choices to help you get what you want from the family you have and the community around you, then I'm glad I wrote it. That's my mission. And why not right now? Why not right now figure out how to make things better by making better things.
0: I think if any work is out in the world, it needs to be that kind of work. And, you know, to, to motivate us to get away from our phones To de stress, to focus on the right now, to focus on the people that matter the most. That's everything. So, thank you. Thank you. you. This was so great. Thank you so much for your work. Thank you so much for your time. This was such a fun conversation.
1: You're really good at this. It was fun.
0: (laughs) No, I'm just listening to you. You're incredible. You have been listening to the Motherhood Unstressed podcast, and I'm your host, Liz Carlisle. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm so grateful that we got this time together today. And if you love this episode, I would so appreciate it if you would share it out on your social media make sure to tag us at motherhood unstressed, connect with us at motherhood unstressed. I'd love to connect with you uh, and see where the work has gone in the world and make sure that you subscribe so that you never miss out on an amazing interview with an incredible guest or our weekly guided meditations every Wednesday.